Welcome back to another edition of the Power Podcast. This week I'm joined by Bertie. Hey, how's it going? And Ham. Yep. And Forty. G'day, fellas. And your host, Hamish. I did listen in last week and I saw the Forty threw a, a curveball to Ham and I thought I might repeat that <laughs> at the beginning of this. <laughs> oh, wait, hang on. Lemon party. Oh, good God. Um, okay, so I'm back this week. Uh, I had last week off. I was in uh, staying in uh, enemy territory, scoping out uh, the Manly Juniors, seeing as they're stealing a couple of our players at the end of the season. We'll see if we can get some some of their juniors back um, who Do aren't named Trevojevic. Or Hopawati. Or Hopawati. <laughs> uh, all right, let's jump straight into it. The uh, car crash of a second half against the Rabbitohs. Uh, Eels 24, Rabbitohs 38. Uh, we'll get into some of those stats when NRL.com decides to load, even though I had that page open before we started. <laughs> Do you want me to go? I've got it ready. Yeah, go for a 40 so, year into it. Uh, we had the try scorers for Parramatta being a Quinton, Duff- uh, Quinton Gufferson double, a George Jennings double. Moses was perfect from the uh, try conversions, but unfortunately missed that one costly penalty goal, which I'm sure Hamish will um, get us to dig into soon. Uh, 4v Bunnies, you had Jackson Paula getting a double. Liam Knight getting his first try of the season, if I'm not mistaken, along with Cameron Murray, Bowie Sirenin, and a late try to Damian Cook. Like Moses, Adam Reynolds was perfect off the kicking tee. He also added a penalty goal. So 18 at halftime, 38-24 full-time. Uh, Bunnies dominated possession, 55-45, to 45, and uh, <clears throat> also controlled time of possession, though not as dominantly. It was 28-47 to them to Parramatta's 23-33. Eels are more effective, completing their sets 73% with 29 of 40 sets completed. South Sydney sitting just a tick lower at 71%, 30 of 42 sets completed. And um, as you'd expect, South Sydney dominated all the attacking categories. They were ahead on runs, run meters, post-contact meters, line breaks, tackle breaks, and average set distance. Um, though some of the numbers weren't as dominant as you expect. I think they had eight line breaks to our five. Uh, post-contact meters was 541 to 481. And overall meters was 1860 to 1521, despite them having about 30 more carries. So the Eels were competitive through those categories considering their possession, but unfortunately those errors were reflected in those attacking stats, weren't they? Well, the big stat, we won the average play the ball speed, and we know <laughs> yeah, as soon as we win yeah, that, that, game over. Exactly. That has been one of those, and I said on the TCT podcast, but it's like, I don't know if there's any correlation or causation there, but it's just a funny stat, isn't it? Every time we've won the play the ball stat, we've lost the game this year, which is crazy. But then the big ones in defensive, forced dropouts, Rabbitohs causing three, us causing zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the effective tackle percentage only at 85%. Rabideau is not too much better at 87%, but you should be sitting around 90. Um, so missing 29 tackles. And Rabideau's there, the big intercept, which sealed the game. Uh, ineffective tackles. Rabideau's had more errors. We had 12. Rabideau's had 16. Penalties, 2 to 3. Ruck infringements, 5 and 4. We only used 7 interchanges. Um, but uh, on that ruck infringements, we got a couple of six agains that were later in the tackle count. One was on the was, last. Uh, Insane. One on fifth tackle. I could not believe that. It was a false omen. We all thought it meant we were going to win, and then unfortunately it was only a great first half that it led to. So coming into this game, we knew from the outset that we weren't going to have make a Sivo. So first our winger's gone. He'd done his MCL. He'll be back next season. Then in the se- in the in the week it was you could see from the photos that were coming out that Ferguson wasn't training, so it seemed likely that he was going to be out. But then that was confirmed 24 hours before, um, and Takarangi came in. Oh, sorry, George Jennings came in for Sibo. Takarangi came in for Ferguson, and we trained with what was it? It was Takarangi at centre and Wonga Blake at, on the wing all week. Yes. Yes, correct. Yeah. And then the bombshell drops at 8 a.m. On Saturday morning, Michael Jennings has tested positive for 
performance enhancing substances and as a result we get dispensation and haze dunster comes into the team so starting out you're missing what's that from your back seven you're missing three players correct uh your best defensive player probably in that back line as well for michael jennings who'd been so such a rock and we'll we'll speak more about him in the news item um and I think the real point of frustration is we knew we were up against it. We were obviously lowering the betting odds and, and Rabbitohs were favourites and, and deserved it so with all those outs. But at half time, we had a 10-point lead. And Souths were there to be beaten heavily the way we were playing in that period as well. And I thought for that middle period where our three main front rowers, Nathan Brown, Reg and Dunes came off, uh, there was a period there before and after half time where we only leaked the one try to Liam Knight and like it was a pretty soft try right on the goal line and, and fuck Kane Evans. Um we'll get to oh, him. Deer, deer and headlights, uh, that was so bad. Oh. Uh, but I thought we weathered that period rather well and then we brought our forwards back on and then it was at that point that we just you know, that goal that, that attempted penalty goal, I didn't think it was well sorry, that was after Cameron Murray scored in the fifty fourth minute. And then there was that attempted penalty goal. I thought it was the wrong option at the time to take the penalty goal because you could see Souths were gassed on their own line. And I think we'd had two sets in a row um, but prior to that. And like it's the it's the money ball option. It's the, it's all the statistics are going to say, well, you're down by two, you level it up. That's what you're meant to do. But alternatively, uh, but I, th- I was going to say it's playing not to win, isn't it? Rather than playing not to lose, rather than playing to win. Exactly. And you know Souths have got another two or three tries in them um, if we're defending like we did for the rest of that half. Um, and it was just, yeah, I thought it was the wrong play. Uh, to, to follow it up, nobody was ready for if the ball was going to come back. Um, you saw it last week, Penrith, they did the same thing. They kicked it into the post. But what the difference was is all their players were up on the 20-meter line ready in case something happened. And that's just that game awareness that uh, we sometimes just seem to lack. Um, and... You know, the ball comes back and then it's taken by Souths. Takarangi should have jumped on that. I don't know how he missed it. Uh, but it looked, it looked like he was trying to shield Paulo off the ball rather than compete it. So, uh, I don't know. But um, Ray Price would never, would he? He'd always have his um, head to the post looking for that red deflection. So, unfortunately, he was got taught a very costly lesson in, like you said, game awareness. And then, of course, Bailey Sirenen, uh Sorry, they, they run down the other end. Uh, you, you could argue that it was a it was a bat on bat forward, which it, you know I think we've seen Jared Hayne in Origin got called back for one of those. Um, so it's not unheard of, but obviously the video ref wasn't looking at that. Um, and sorry, in the lead up to that, I should say the penalty. I I, th- I thought it was pretty clear cut that Cook should have been binned. Um, that's he, he played it very well with the referee, I have to say, saying, oh, I, I didn't realise that you'd called held. <laughs> um, so that's a bit of gamesmanship, but come on, Sutton, you've been refereeing for 10-plus years. Uh, that's that's an automatic sin bin. It's I, no, without foul. a doubt, that is an instant sin bin. And You've I mean, got close to a send-off. It was as deliberate as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but refereeing wasn't the difference in this game. No, it was our own mental fortitude. And I think that's the really frustrating part is I thought this season we took some leaps and bounds in our mental awareness during games and toughing it out. But that second half, it, it, there's no other word for it but capitulation. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to string up Dill Brown for throwing that uh, intercept. Uh, I, I thought it was a terrible pass. And you could see as soon as he was sizing it up, it was already an intercept. It was just, yeah. <laughs> 
it hurt. Uh, the thing is, Dill like never throws those passes, so it just shows like the pressure that they thought they had to score. And and they weren't under that much pressure. No. There was eight points they were behind. Like it was a try uh, that they could have brought it back. And that's the real frustrating thing is like you know we didn't need to do the short kickoff. We didn't need to do some of those things. There was still 15, 20 minutes left in that game uh, where you hold the ball, uh, you get some repeat sets down on South Line, and we sh- showed, what, 23, 25, 28 in a five-minute period, we put on three tries quite easily. Um, so I just think some of the, the mental toughness within that game was just lacking. And I don't want to completely flame the whole team because they came in obviously underdone. There was huge injuries uh, throughout the back end of this season. Uh, but again, it's another missed opportunity uh, going forward into finals. And that's twice now we've finished in the top four and gone out in straight sets. Uh, the only thing that alleviates it, I guess, is the night before Roosters showed, even after coming off the back of two premierships, that uh, they bounced out in two sets as well. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on, you know, our, our, our attack, which was much talk about leading into the finals. Uh, we scored 24 points in both of those finals games, which is enough to win well, regularly win in a finals match. Uh, but this year, it seemed like uh, defence was optional, and especially in our games, letting in 30, what was it, 36 points and then 38 points in this match. Um, so for a defence that was right up there in the top one, two and three teams all season, to let yourselves down so badly in defence in the last two rounds, and obviously, you know, you go into the Storm game and you lose your two wingers during the game and you're playing a second rower at centre and then you're playing Gillen Brown at centre... Uh, it was it was difficult, and then in this game you had the the change straight away on those edges, which we'd been torn apart uh, throughout the season. Uh, but still, the, the leaky nature of our defence in the finals uh, is quite frustrating, and um, I think there's going to have to be a lot of work done on that defensive side of the ball uh, coming into next season. Yeah, and you know, you talk about tries, letting tries in easily. That um, one where Cook shot out a dummy half, Dylan chased hard which he probably should have because there was a few times when Cook jumped out of dummy half, our markers were told to chase hard. Um, inside and outside defenders didn't close the hole that he left in the defensive line. It's just like... Kane did not move off the goal line that in that whole thing, which is what precipitated Dylan having to chase so hard. Yeah. Uh, it opened up that channel outside the on the left side of the dummy half, which then, unfortunately, the secondary marker, and, and then I think it was Andrew Davey was the A defender to the left. I don't think they, they came across, unfortunately, which is what opened up that channel for Liam Knight. Oh, yeah, and it's just a shame because like Dylan's nineteen or oh, twenty years twenty years old this year. Yeah, twenty years old this year, and like already showing more heart than a, hun- a hundred gamer. Yeah, and I mean it was another game, another elimination finals game for Dylan. Cut down tackle from behind. Who was it that he gunned down this time? Campbell Graham again? Was it again? It was one of them. Yeah, right on the goal line. Yeah. Um, another frustrating thing is uh, looking at the halftime stats. Souths had made an extra fifty tackles at that point. Like, that's almost an extra 10 sets of six. Um, So how we couldn't go on within the second half just completely comes down to mental fortitude. It wasn't that we were under strength or that we had less ability. Uh, We could completely match it with South. And I thought we saw in that first half when we had our three uh, best starting middle forwards, Nathan Brown, Jr. and Reg, on, we rolled through the South pack quite easily and, and gained metres right up the field. And you could see in those stats, uh, Reg played 56 minutes, Junior Polo 64 minutes, and Nathan Brown 59 minutes. So they're all playing pretty much three quarters of the game. Uh, 
it's that reliance or that lack of reliance on the bench because um, they just couldn't be trusted, uh, especially Kane Evans. Andrew Davies saved his worst game in the blue and gold for that match. Um, Will Smith, you know, he came on when the game was over with 13 minutes to go just as a sort of, you know, see what you can do. And Ray Stone, uh, whilst we love him, fuck, he gave away some six agains on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, coming down to attitude, there's two things to me that, re- like, if we had done those, we win the game was, uh, and just, you know, in general, I think. Number one's kick chase. Our kick chase, you know, for a while has been awful. In this game, it was terrible. There was a point there where we could have had South trapped in the in goal and our players just run past them. Like, I'm not sure if they were looking they're going to get a try or what, but you look at South kick chase, as soon as we caught the ball, as soon as Hayes caught the ball, they set upon him. They tackled him. There was a, there was a one in the, I'm going to say the first half, we put up a bomb. We had a chance to tackle Jackson Paulo as soon as he caught the ball, but our players just ran straight past him and like thought they were going to score a try. So, you know, that's to me, that's a, another mental aspect is that we've got to get down there. We've got to, you know, put pressure on the back three. And another one is, and I think it comes back to, you know, relying on our uh, three starting middles too much. We're not getting enough impact from our wingers and centers rucking the ball out. Like George did a very good job. Hayes did a decent job given it's his debut. South targeted him um, with the bombs, so he couldn't do much rucking out. But this has been going back for a few weeks now, and Sivo and Fergo and Jennings and Wanga Blake just don't want to seem to cut the ball back. So we have to kick on the last tackle. We can't kick on the fourth tackle. And it's just disappointing because last year Sivo and and Fergo were making 200 metres a game. Even right. even earlier this season, that's what they're doing: hidden spaces, not faces. Yeah, and just... that's what's part of our game is what BA's game plan is is built around: is the power outside backs gaining you those fifty meters um, from from those kicks uh, to put you in a position to win the field position battle. And you, you are quite right, Ham. Is that we shirked that high contact from the outside backs towards the back end of the season. And that's one of the reasons that we we lapped because you, you've got Mitch Moses, who's the primary kicker, constantly under pressure because we're kicking on the last and because he's pretty much the only kicker in the team. Um, and, and it just didn't help us out towards the end of the season. So there's a lot of soul-searching that's going to be had to be done. And we'll touch on it in the, the season recap. Uh, but again, that, that was a game that was there to be won and through our own mental lapses, our own errors and our own lack of attention to detail that we lost. I, I don't think that South Sydney team is crash hot. I think they're going to get absolutely towed by Penrith this week. Um, and, you know, they've, they've got that good, that, that good spine when, you know, things are going well, they can run plays and, and get outside quickly. And for the fuck me, for the life of me, can we learn how to defend that scrum play they run every time, hmm. that they score every time on? <laughs> that is so frustrating I mean, that you just we, know they've got a scrum in the middle of the field, they're going to score. We had a three on four like overlap in a negative way, and we still could have defended if George Jennings just trusts Tacker to slide out to his man. It just like the communication just goes out the bin when they, they have that set play, and it's not even a fancy set play. It's not even that complicated. Just We, we just shit, shit the bed every time. Bloody Robert Jennings scored five tries on that exact scrum play two years ago. Like, it's just, you've got to learn to fucking defend that scrum play. Yeah, you know what the worst try was besides the Liam Knight one? The Cameron Murray one. If you watch it, like, I know I don't know if you're into torture, but if you watch it, um, Adam Reynolds gets the ball and he just throws a dummy, he steps, and um, Andrew Davies slips over. Lane was a bit too slow from dummy half. I just don't understand 
how we can't tackle their halves. Like Adam Reynolds is only a small fella. Like he's not like Cody Walker who has footwork mm-hmm. and we're just falling off it. We're just lazy arm grabs and it's just it was just a disgusting attempt, you know. On fourth tackle, we had them at their own 40, 45 yard line. Like we had them pit like in their own half and just one it's just one person clocks off and it just one like I don't know. I know you've mentioned Davey had his worst game, but uh, on the edges, he just seems to his footing's not that well. Like he just keep, he just doesn't read the defense line well. Or yeah, it's just a very bad um bad try that one. But uh, what can we do, man? We we have to work. And uh, I think I want to want tackling look because we're just seeing a lot of lazy arm grabs and yeah, it's a bit disgusting on the weekend. Yep, first contact, first up contact has been a worry for that back end of the season. Um, so we we finish up the season going out and. In, in straight sets, losing those two games while scoring, what, 48 points, letting in a, a stack of points ourselves. Um, so they'll be extremely disappointed with the way that they've finished off that finals campaign. And you could see Gutherson, he, he's turned into a real leader in this team and, and bringing the boys into that circle at the end of the game and no doubt telling them what that they don't want to be in this position again next year. This is twice they've gone to a qualifying final and lost it in the last two years. Um different circumstances this year and I think this year it's even more frustrating because we easily could have won against Melbourne Storm we were blown out in the first 20 minutes and it was game over from there Uh, but this year you know up at the half by 10 points and then to lose that second half 30 points to six uh, they'll they'll be really stinging from that and again there's lots of excuses you can pull out uh, the, the reshuffle in the back line obviously our bench wasn't our full strength bench Generally, you'd like to have Oregon uh, in there. I don't know why he was left out for the finals. I, th- I thought he was coming along quite nicely. And you'd also have to ha- like to have uh, Birdie's boy, uh, Maradonia Corey, in there as well, who was missing from suspension and will miss round one next year as well. Uh, but when you're in that position to be up by 10 points at half time in a finals match, um, there's no excuses not to go on and win that, even with all those injuries coming into the into the game. It's like we panicked or shit ourselves. Like I know like, we've got a fairly young team, but you go look at the South uh, lineup. Besides Reynolds and Walker, they've got a young team themselves. Like I don't know how you panic. Like it's hopefully it's one of those ones where over like as they get more experience, they should learn from it. Like and get more um, be more calm. But I just feel as though I think it's big game experience. Like yeah, you look at. Uh, Walker's played. I know it's only been one Origin, but he's played in a few final series now. Reynolds has won a competition. Uh, Damien Cook has played in a couple of Origin series. Played for Australia, so they just know how to be calm, cool, relaxed. You know, there's no they can just go. All right, we just need to go back to exactly what we do as soon as Reynolds gets the ball. He's only played 200 games, only 50 more than Mitchell Moses, but they know they can rely on Adam Reynolds to get a repeat set from 40 meters out. They can rely on him to put up a big bomb that they can chase. Whereas our guys, even though Mitchell Moses has played 150 games, it's just sort of like you can't. I know I said before about kick chase and everything, but you can't rely on, or we can't bank on Moses putting up that big bomb that we can chase. And then, but then again, when we when he does do it, our kick chase is poor. So it's just sort of like you know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, in in a bad way. Like you only have to look when when South were behind 18-8, like they didn't panic. They just did the game plan. They just Worked hard. They didn't. They completed the sets. Um, they just did the same, you know, block plays and forward runs. Well, us, you know, you saw Dylan Brown throwing in the set. You saw us um, kicking early. Like I just, 
someone has to tell them, hey, just stick to the game plan. There's nothing wrong if the game plan, if it's got you this way. Like it's even throughout the beginning of the year after the COVID break, like we had a, we had a game plan: run hard and tackle hard, and we're smashing teams. And it just seems like we just drifted away towards the end of um, the season. And I don't know what, what you could put down that down to. Maybe plays in and out of the squad, but just someone has to. Like, and you know, ideally, you think Gufferson would say because he's the captain. Hey, listen, lads, we gotta. You know, he should he should pull uh, Moses in and tell him, hey, just kick to the corner or kick. You know, get back to the game plan, but. I think Gutho does too much to do that. Like he's yeah. on both sides of the field, he's looking for sweet plays. Whereas Mitchell, by now, 100 played 150 games, he should know that's exactly what he has to do. Like yeah. he should know that he's kick to a corner, so slow things down. Even you know, even just kick it out. Doesn't even need to be 10 meters. Just kick it out for a scrum, and we need a break. One thing that became apparent to me watching this game and on replay is. Um, I know that uh, we have attacking structures that really feature Gufferson as the secondary. I mean, he's really the primary playmaker, but he's a secondary playmaker in terms of alignment um, out wide, and he needs to be in those positions. But on the left and right, you've got a bloke on either side that breaks a first tackle every time and always gets his arm free. And I'm talking about Dylan Brown and Ryan Madison. And the fact that Guffer can't be off their hips on those plays has really left a lot of meat in the bone, especially in that game. Um, both those men had opportunities for line breaks galore before the game was out of our hands. And, you know, and this isn't a knock on Guffers, and this is more of a, you know, a nod towards our attacking structures. I would like to see it tweaked a little bit next year, maybe, so that we can have the best of both worlds. Because obviously, Gufferson is a huge red zone threat as that edge playmaker. But when we're in the mid in the midfield, I would like to see Gufferson ready to run off their hips a little bit. Well, also at the same time, like running off Ryan Madison, that should also be a job of, for Mitchell Moses. You know, halves should always back up just like hookers and fullbacks. That's what the spine does. They're the most fit Not in, wrong. The, in the squad. And, like, you know, I'm not trying to pile on Moses here. It's just, like, Jeez, it's the same on the left side. Like, yeah. uh, our centre should be backing up there. Whoever mm. our centre is should be knowing that, all right, Dill's going to have break the first tackle. He's going to get that right arm free. If I'm on his hip, there's at least a chance for something. Well, that's exactly what happened. Gutherson on that first try that he scored, if you look back at the tape, he threw a pass on the left edge in the previous play before and then ran all the way across to be in that position well, ready for the offload for Junior Paulo. And, uh, yeah, you're exactly right that we just haven't seen that effort from some other players uh, within the team uh, to know that they – or not just effort, but also just the game awareness to know that we're such a strong offloading team that you need to be ready for anything. And there was there was one there where Kane Evans, I think, threw the ball about 10 metres back in what Port Reed. Marnie wasn't ready yeah. for it. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I – oh, sorry. I was just going to say with Paulo's offloading ability, you know, play him as our halfback have – if he's running the ball, have a player left, right of him, both forwards, and then have a half out the back on the open side. And then all of a sudden the defense goes, shit, I've got a 120-kilo halfback running at me. And Junior's that quick that he can either throw the short ball, he can throw the long ball, he can go into contact, throw the offload. How about the so, footwork to put Cody Walker on the um, spot there from Junior? Left him grasping at thin air in the lead-up yeah. to that penalty that should have seen Cooks in bend. And it's just, you know, we know that how good Junior is. Parramatta have known how good Junior is since 2013. So, you know, he was here when BA was here and you should just be telling him, like, when Junior gets the ball, we've got to make sure he has options because the more options that he has, the more chance that the defence is going to take the wrong option. He's going to barge over on -on one-on-one tackle. He's going to throw an offload because there's only two or three players on him or he can just deliver a pass to someone, put him through a gap. One thing I would like to see next season is... And, and I'm open to your thoughts. Dylan Brown taking up more of a controlling half 
uh, position. I thought earlier in the season the roles were closer to 50-50 in those sorts of roles of of dictating play and playing first receiver, whereas in the second half of the season it seemed to be the Mitch Moses show. And for obvious reasons, given that Dill only had two games back after the the ankle break or the the syndesmosis, sorry. Um, But I want to see him being more controlling in that second year and what we've seen from the better teams this season is the link play between the halves, and that's something we've gone away from in favour of having Gutho playing that that second sort of half role. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Mitch Moses and Dill Brown combine on different sides of the field more often um, Well, that's next what we season. saw in 2017 as well for us. Like um, You had uh, Mitchell Moses and Corey Norman both switching sides of the field, switching sides of the ruck, um, and obviously... 2020 was a lot better than 2017 in terms of squad roster. And it's just like, where has that play gone? Even early in the year before Mitch had done his calf injury, there was no switch of sides. There was no switch of play. There was no, there was none of that. And it's just, I think it's a huge detriment. I, I believe Bernie Gurr said it on the, um, on the tip sheet there was one of the reasons why we brought Mitchell Moses to the club was because as Bernie said, there was no halfback that can play a short side like he can. When I don't think we played a short side this year. No. Well, let's get to one positive of the game, which was Hayes Dunster uh, debut. He he dropped one ball, um, and you know he just had a look before he got it. Uh, it's his first game in first grade, and he hadn't played any football this season other than the trial uh, against Penrith earlier this season, uh, where I think he's got a try. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he was really positive to come in at such a late stage, only getting the call up on Saturday morning, and I thought he played his well his role well on the wing. Yeah, Souths went after him, like Cam said earlier. They targeted him with a, a number of nasty bombs that he, he held it all perfectly. And he also had a, a great bone-rattling tackle late in the game, the force and error. And um, you know what? Against teams that don't have the kicking game of Adam Reynolds, he makes a lot more than 60-something metres. Yeah, and, and part of that, as you sort of – we got to before, is a little bit of you know the rookie jitters, not really knowing his place in the team 100%. He, man, he got told at 8 o'clock in the morning, hey, kid, suit up, you're playing today, uh, making your NRL debut in an elimination final, no less. So yeah, I mean, if if it's Micah Sever or Blake Ferguson putting out those numbers, you're going to put them on the um on the grill because they're you know they're vets now, and even Sever only second year, he's still a vet, and you expect way more from him. But from Hayes, it was a you know a good start, and he wasn't overawed by the prospect of an elimination final, which is a good thing. Well, I think you know I'm I'm a big fan of Hayes. I have been for quite a while now. Even on that one performance, I think Sever's really got to watch out next year. Like. Oh, Sivo cannot yeah. play the way he did post man, the the Manly game where he blew, you got to say he blew his knee out. He he looked like he blew his knee out um, with the, uh, the what's his name Hank Scorpio tackle yeah, and Brad Parker. Brad Parker. He, he just he can't afford it. the the guy The guy is a difference maker on his athleticism and physicality. And if he's not bringing that to the table, then he's just you know another uh, replacement level winger. That's one well, thing I like. Oh, go on. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, we'll get into Michael Jennings a little bit later, but uh, Hayes Dunster could potentially fill that centre role next season. That is a possibility. He hasn't played centre for... Uh... Yeah, it was, a, it was a spot job in the 20s for him. He sort of filled in now and then at centre. And Even then, he was more winger in this. Tw- I'm just trying to. Th- I think yeah, he, he had he had some sp- spot work at, in the jersey flag and the centre and fullback. But I'm talking like one or two games, I think. And then yeah. aside from that, he's been a pretty much a specialist winger. So I mean, it could be on the cards depending on how recruitment goes. But um, Tom Opachik, I think, has been um being teasing on his social media about joining the Eels and how his kid's new favourite animal being eel. Um, so that'll be another contender there. And yeah, and depending on how recruitment goes now that we've got the Michael Jennings cap space. Going to be very interesting, eh? True. Um, 
Sorry, did you guys want to touch on anything from that game before we jump into the news? Do, do we want to give Junior Pauly some more reps? Because he was so good. That, yeah, that, fantastic. That's almost man the match in a losing. And, man, Gufferson was very good too, barring the, the one catastrophic area where, he didn't t- uh, area where he didn't touch the ball down instead of uh, scooping it up. But uh, both of them just were Lionhearts. Brownie too, he was very, uh, Nathan Brown, that is. He had a good game as well. Even Reg. Yeah, Reg. Like I mean, every that, run Reg was just like going 100 yeah, mile an hour. That, I'm doing Reg a disservice there, not to mention him 100%. Um, those four were, I mean, they've been four of the best all year, haven't they? Um, yeah. and, and if you if you had like open polling for the Ken Fournette medal, they'd be the top four by far. On the flip side, Sean Lane continued his streaky run of form. He was dreadful a week after being really good against Melbourne. So I don't know what's going on for Laney. He needs to get his head in the game, though. Um, we can't afford him dropping the ball uh, off his first touch of the game. We can't afford him, you know, defensively lapsing so often. Um you know, we, we saw the best of Lane as well, too, during that period where we went bang, bang, bang with the three tries, where he's such a creative back rower out that edge with the little flick balls and Yeah, that and the death hands. was yeah. just like, come from nowhere. That's right. I mean, it's it's prime Sonny Bill material when he does that sort of stuff. And he doesn't need to be prime Sonny Bill, but we do need him switched on. So, yeah, Lane, I was real disappointing. Um, I was trying to think, look at the list. I mean, Kane, dreadful. Hap- I'm, Kane was just... It, and that's, like, he's the... How, how many minutes? He only got 15 or so minutes, didn't he? 14 minutes per NRL.com. Those 14 minutes. To impact the game I, negatively in that period is just amazing. Yeah, and it's just for someone who – usually when you look at someone go 14 minutes, you go, oh, they probably come on, made a couple of tackles, you know, maybe taking a hit up or two. He – it's it's incredible how bad he impacted the team. I agree. 100%, just, mate. And it was just symptomatic of our bench in that game, like – I really, I, th- I think it was a bad bench choice n- not to go with more props. Yeah, I, I did. I, I think maybe Brad Arthur was guilty of overthinking things and now sort of out, out clevering himself. Yeah, trying to go more mobile. Yeah, and- exactly. Instead of just get your big men into the armrest or win the north south battle, and you know the game will come to you from there. And because I think it showed that. Sorry, sorry. To that's all right, man. I think it showed like when Reg Junior and Brownie were running hard, we were getting over the top of them. If we followed that up, I know Murata was is suspended, but if we follow that up with Kane and o- Oregon, even you know to a lesser extent Daniel Alvaro, if you chuck those guys on and tell like obviously Kane was told from the start like do not offload the ball. If he put his head down and ran hard, which on occasion he did, and I think if you follow that with Oregon, we make a lot more meters, we make a lot more get into a taking position better, and probably wouldn't have been as bad that 15 or 20 minutes that our starting middles were off. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I just think, yeah, it's like, yeah, you, you gained in mobility, but we're not a mobility team. We're a we're a bash and barge team where we play off the offload, we play off the quick play of the ball. And, you know, as much as I love Stoney and he hits smashes players in defense, he smashes a couple of players in defense today, he's not getting a quick play of the ball. Well, mm. then it makes me, like, well, I know we haven't bashed BA this year. He's gotten his team uh, well and, like, in substitutions as well. But why um, does he have Raystone and Will Smith on there? Like he could have had. Well, that's what I'm there. saying. He was he was overthinking it. He tried to outfox the South Sydney strategy mm. and be over, like, off the mobile utility bench when this was very much a case of win the ruck and everything else figures itself out for you. And like I'm all, I'm all for having a utility back on the bench, whether it's Will Smith or him. But you can't have both of them. You need to exactly. have some. You need to yeah. have another. It's they're virtually the same players. Like and like Raystone. He, he, like we're not we're not praising his hard style running like Ham was saying. It's his defense, okay. But it's just I don't know. Maybe he just felt felt like uh, Will Smith deserves to be in the team, and so is Stone. But man, it didn't. Hurt. It wouldn't have hurt if uh, Oregon in, was in there. In the, the absence bench. of your best bench player in Murata Niakore, who was suspended, 
you do you just you got to go with Oregon. I don't, yeah, it's and like you said, Betty, it's Smith and or Stone, not both. And mm. and yeah, but I'm um, back on the positive note. I thought Tacker played a pretty fine hand in what looks to be his last game as an eel. You know, it wasn't spectacular, but the guy came out, you know, and and did the job for us. And you know, and I'll, I'll be sad to see him go. Tacker did a lot of good for us, as much as it was he got brain fade from him. Um, he did a lot of good for us and has been. Um, was he one of the OGs or was he a twenty? He was twenty fifteen, wasn't he? Can't remember. If it was fifteen or sixteen? Yeah, he was one of the twenty. It was twenty fifteen, I think, because uh, it was in terms of recruits. You had David Gower, uh, Polar came up, but he wasn't playing in NRL in twenty fourteen, and Penny Terepo. They're the last of the OGs from when Brad Arthur took over in twenty fourteen. And yeah, all. well, um, I have to say that that left edge combination between uh, Semi and and Takarangi, that was one of the all time <laughs> centre wing pairings. Very entertaining. Uh, we've seen it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, we'll, we'll, we've jumped from the game now. Let's uh, jump into those news items. So the first one, because uh, we'll jump into the parting players, but first one, Michael Jennings. So uh, let's have a look at the timestamp on this one. 9 a.m. on Saturday, 10 October. Eels today have been made aware of provisional suspension handed down to Michael Jennings under the RL's anti-doping policy. Uh, provisional suspension and alleged breach of anti-doping policy will be outlined in NRL media statement to be distributed today, which was last Saturday. He stood down from today's game and ongoing training playing responsibilities while the process runs its course, which under the policy includes the opportunity to have his B sample analysed. The club has been in contact with Michael and will continue to offer him and his family our full wellbeing and support. Uh, so following this, the NRL released their own media statement confirming that it tested positive to two banned substances on the uh, wider band list. Um, Jennings then released, was that on, I can't remember if it was at Instagram, Insta or, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, protesting uh, his innocence. Um, but from what he tested positive to, um, and, and the fact that it was two different substances. I still in a growth hormone. It's very hard to. Yes. And as much it, as you want to believe in the fairy tale, when a starter make these sort of calls, it very rarely does it come out that the player was innocent or the test had been tainted with. And Yeah, and the B sample, you know, we'll, we'll wait. And it's his right to get it tested. Uh, but I think even if it is, you know, something that he got over the counter, uh, you know, if it was a supplement or something, um, players know and, and a veteran like Michael Jennings know that they have to get it tested by the club. So even if it was, you know, an error of judgment in that way and it wasn't a deliberate attempt to juice, uh, that doesn't absolve him of responsibility and the best it can do is reduce that four-year order penalty down to, you know, two two years or so. And even if he is innocent, uh, as I said before to you guys privately, the actual legal battle to clean his name would probably wipe him out from NRL contest or, or playing the NRL for at least a year or two, which means his career would be pretty much over. Even if he does, you know, uh, clean his legacy of any sort of taint from a, a drug uh, drug accusation. Yep. So that that brings us to pretty much calling <clears throat> a spade a spade as it is, and regardless of what the outcome of the process is, I think we've seen Michael Jennings play his last game in the NRL. One thing. I will say is that Asada do have the penchant for the dramatic, don't they? Um, this, <laughs> they do this, release this the news an, right at the uh, opportune anti- time yeah. for most clicks. <laughs> it is an anti-Eels thing. We're talking about the, the blackest day or the darkest day in Australian sport uh, with the uh, Cronulla and was it Essendon? Uh, yeah. Uh, yep. Stuff. Yep. Um, then you also had the Bronson Sherry stuff time for the return of the NRL post-COVID or it was during COVID rather than post-COVID, you know what I mean? So they've they've certainly got a penchant for the dramatic and maximising the exposure to their their big um, raids. 
Only only happens to Parramatta on the biggest day of the year that one of the best players gets you know banned and like it's just just our luck you know and you, and you add the Mitchell Moses miss field goal and it just seems like since that Manly game at Banquish we've had not one ounce of luck go our way. It, it's an, I will say that luck is an underrated component in making a genuine premiership run. Mm. But also, the Eels had opportunities to control a lot of those lucky factors throughout the course of the 2020 season. And for a lack of experience, a lack of patience, um, and you know, and the odd injury here and there, they sort of helped exacerbate things rather than control what they could control. The Nathan Brown suspension, like, that was just BS. It's just, it just seems like we were, bat- we were all swimming upstream the whole time, or since the Manly game. And it's just, uh, it was just a tough for the lads to get through the whole thing. Yeah, well, it is an extraordinary season. So, um, you know, every other team had to deal with the same things. Uh, we finished top four, um, but towards that back end of the season, we dropped off pretty badly. And obviously those injuries in the back half of the season hurt us. But we'll get into that in the season review. Let's go to the next item. 11 players to depart Parramatta Eels. So the Parramatta Eels have confirmed the departure of 11 players from its NRL and development squads at the end of the 2020 season. David Gower, sorry, that's B.A. <laughs> um, David hey, Gower and Penny Terrapo recognised in the club semi-final match on Saturday and will be officially farewelled at the club's end-of-season Kent Thornett medal, which is taking place as we speak. Um, so uh, we'll get to that. Um, David has accepted a role in the club's education and wellbeing team and will remain with the Eels post his playing career. Penny has decided to take a break from the game and will look to reevaluate his footballing future in the coming months. Uh, the Eels all also like to pay tribute to the contributions from Kane Evans, who's off to the Warriors, Jai Field. I think he's mooted to go over to Super League, depending on the COVID situation. Stefano Tuikmanu, who we know is going to the West Tigers. Mm. Andrew Davey, who... It came out he's going to Manly now on a two-year deal. No, well done, David, uh, getting two years. Reese Davies, don't know what's happening to him. Jamin Salmon, don't know what's happening to him. And Brad Takarangi, don't know what's happening to him. Um, so all depth players, none in – oh, sorry, and would also like to acknowledge the efforts from the development squad of Watson Haleta, who came from West Tigers as a centre, uh, but never – well, it was pretty – Hard <laughs> to kick broke, on with broke no his reserve short grade. Nines and then with no reserve grade, couldn't really push his way in exactly. And the same thing for Kyle Schneider as well, who I understand has been smashed uh, with some injuries uh, leading up to this season. So, uh, Mark O'Neill said all players within the bubble have had to follow the strict NRL protocols to ensure the game continued this year, irrespective of whether players were selected in the 17 each week. They have all contributed to our success. We are the most grateful for the sacrifices our players have made and would like to offer our sincere thanks to each and every member of our squad. Um, so we're now waiting on some news for players that we're going to sign as depth for next season because uh, we're running pretty thin on that depth uh, at the moment. Yeah, we've um... yeah, we've got nine players signed. Nine players to sign? Easily nine players, depending on how things play out. And Oh, that's – well, no more because Penny, I think, was part of that 21. Mm. So there's 20, and then depending on uh, Jennings, there's 19. So we might even have 11 players to sign for next year. And what will be interesting to see, because I believe the Eels had their development six fully mapped out for 2021, and now it's been bumped down to a development four – the question be whether they just go four plus the, the reigning two back to a flag contract with the 21s next year, or if the two that get cut aren't really cut, they're promoted to the top 30 uh, because they're seen as the best of those D6 players and the closest to first grade. So uh, lots of to work out for the Eels, lots to puzzle out. Um, and we've got a lot of needs now, don't we? We need a backup hooker, a backup half. 
We need some like genuine competition at edge. We need some front rowers. Have to we speak need, to Willie, Willie Mason. Well, front yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can grab the old package and whatnot. Um, uh, we've got it. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what their stance is on front rowers because you'd hope that Oregon Kafusi can slip into the the third prop. He'll be the. the well, first I think choice. for next year, like my wanted bench is Kafusi. Murata potentially starting and laying on the bench, depending on how you want to play that. Uh, Raymond Stone, and then if we can pick up a bench hooker, that'd be nice. Yeah, and I know that Sam Hughes, who was um, impressive during the inside the bubble this year, will feature in some capacity in first grade next year. It'll be interesting to see how they treat him. Does he well, get... I think it'd be something like similar to Oregon coming yeah. in. He'll get a couple of games here and there and get 10 minutes to start off with and, and go from there. That That's the, the most expected route. I do wonder if necessity and maybe even him impressing a little bit um, throughout this year puts him in a position to maybe get a more in-depth, hands-on experience of first grade rather than what the 29 Oregon Kafusi 2020 Stefano Toikamano sort of experience was. But yeah, we obviously need, uh, we do need more middle forwards, need more edge forwards. We need, now with Janko gone, we need a centre or two, um, you know, and some of that's going to come from within. Um, like I said, those those D4 or, you know, the D4 plus Two T thirty, depending how they work it out. There's some talent there. Um, I don't know how close they're going to be seen to NRL, but you know we're talking uh, guys like Sean Russell, Solomon Naiduki. Uh, they're probably two of the closer ones, I'd say. Ham, do you reckon? Oh, I love Naiduki on the wing because <laughs> yeah. um, there's, um, there's <laughs> other guys. My favorite player since the 16s to watch coming through. Just you know that big African powerful. No, winger. no, no. Naiduki's Fijian man. Oh, is he Fijian? Sorry, I thought he was uh, he was no, African heritage. Of, uh, Matthew Komalafi. Who who is who's going to be Komalafi. he's going to be right there too because he is a very good talent too. And the pro- problem for Matthew was he had a, a really bad syndesmotic injury in 2020, so he ended up missing what was there for the junior reps. But um, he's a fantastic talent. So yeah, there's no, there's no, some... Duke, he came last year from uh, Fijian rugby. Yes, because there was um there was Naiduki and then there was uh, PJ. Nah, JT. JT, yeah. And uh, I don't think JT's at the club anymore, but uh, Naiduki is impressed. And yeah, so a lot of work to be done though. And I don't know, what, what, the Parramatta's love a good value deal, don't they? So the New Zealand Warriors and the Brisbane Broncos have both telegraphed that they're shopping some players around. So there could be something to be had there. And deals. Been- uh, we need a bench prop. We need someone who's going to come on and just like... Yeah, good experience bench prop. Yeah, and that's why... Get Paul you know, Vaughan from the Dragons. <laughs> That'd be a perfect Well, well Ham's, got, Ham's, got a, Ham's got a scoop on old Vaughn. Oh, not a scoop. <laughs> not a, no, I, just, I just happened to walk into Banquist Stadium and saw Paul Vaughan there and his daughter was wearing a, a an Eels dress, cheerleader dress. And I said, hello. And he said, hey, mate, how are you? I said, oh, good. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> That that's got to be one of the greatest like bargaining tools Eels could ever have, mate. Your da- your daughter's a Parramatta fan. You got to do the right thing by her and come to the club. Someone give him an espresso maker so he doesn't, you know, get in trouble again. I think they will seal the deal actually. You know, so. <laughs> um, Too soon. But yeah, I, just, I, think, I think we need, you know, we need an old head in the in the squad you, but, to replace Gowers. Ham's been arguing for a backup fullback for a while now, haven't you, mate? Yeah, uh, we, you know, because if Gutho goes down or we have to move into the halves, like. Who, who is there? And that's why I think it was Caleb. I think it's Will Smith used to play a little bit of fullback. Oh, Blake, Blake Ferguson's Jesus. probably another option too. Who, sorry? Smith and Ferguson, I think, are the two options internally yeah. the club would look at. I just think, you know, even like you looking at a reserve grade team, you still need someone to play fullback there. And I know it's very like esoteric and non, it's a non-factor reserve grade fullback because if they don't play first grade, it's a non-factor. 
but they're still part of a team. So if you can get, you're not going to find someone like Gutho, but if you can get someone with first grade experience that we can have there and then we can have, because there'll be a few young guys in the back line um, based off the development contracts and the way things have worked out with with, um, Tacker leaving, George Jennings not signed and all that, like there's going to be some young guys in the back line just to have someone there with a bit of first grade experience who's been there, even if it's, you know, 20 games, 15 games, it's still more what we have and, you know, putting a junior there, which, you know, we're a development club, but I just think, you know, part of a development is having those old guys around to show them how to do it. And that's why I think Gal was it was a great uh, signing for the past two years because even though, you know, he'd only played 90 or 100 games, like he still showed the guys like this is what you got to do to make first grade. And if there was a reserve grade team, he would have been one of the leaders of that, of that team. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good shout out. You know what this all points towards? Mitchell Pierce signing. Get in, lads. <laughs> let's get let's, him in. Let's please move on from that rubbish. <laughs> uh, so next news item, the Eels are pleased to announce four players have been selected for the New South Wales Blues State of Origin squad. Uh, Coach Brad Fittler has added nine players to his squad today, which include Clint Gutherson, Junior Paulo, Nathan Brown, at Reg Campbell-Gillard. Um, if named in the team, Gutherson, Paulo and Brown will make their State of Origin debut. So the squads are 28 is my understanding, and because you're playing three games in 14 days, if you're in that 28-man squad, you're getting pretty close to, to getting a starting You'd be unlucky to miss out, exactly. And I understand Clint has been vaunted as the, the centre now that Tom Trevojevic is ruled out. And there's a bit of doubt over Teddy. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think they'll probably bring in um, Pappenhausen from right. which, Storm. Which opens who up. Who I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think Clint's the preferred position for him would be centre, and he's played a bit of you know outside backs. Uh, coming through the gates and, and earlier in his career uh, at the Eels. Um, so he could slot in there quite well. And I think we've seen in origin, in uh, especially last year, that it was filled with fullbacks in the back line. And that seemed to, to be better than having a, a centre, yep. which for, for the Maroons, I think they had Embi at centre and, and that didn't turn out very well. It's funny because I think the, the adage I saw described the, the way origin plays out these days is that all the best centres are fullbacks in the NRL for rep football. And the only exception is that the best centre should probably be going fullback, and that's Joey Manu, but he's got James Tedesco in front of him. So that's understandable why he's um, locked into the centres in the tricolours. Yeah, and Manu, I think, he, he's, a new, he's a Kiwi international. Yeah, exactly. So even yeah. then, he wouldn't, he wouldn't qualify, qualify, but he was like the exception that proves the rule. But yeah, I think this would be pretty big for Gutherson. Like, he missed out on the 2017 um, final series. He's played two final series now. I think as our captain, like, as Birdie said earlier, you know, just take control of the team a little bit. And, you know, I think New South Wales have a big chance of winning, which is, uh, you know, huge for Queensland because they love being the underdog. So this is like the ultimate underdog uh, series now since 95, was it? Where, yeah, the the Fatty Vorton 95 yeah. series. So, you know, Queensland will be right up for it, right up for the Origin series. And I think Gutho needs to really learn how to cope in big games and like not to overplay his hand it doesn't have to be everywhere and anywhere he can pick his spots and then bring that back to club level well if you look at the four names they're the the four names that you guys just gave a shout out to in that game against Souths. so again making sure they get some big game experience is is well worth it Mato probably a bit unlucky to miss out there too he's been really sold if a little bit underutilized at Parramatta with Moses having that calf injury and not quite hitting full stride again but um he'll be in mix for 2021 I'd say and the other one I wanted to say was: Have Queensland, Queensland announced their uh, no, non like the non contending players? In the, no, so Reed unlikely to get a look in for Queensland, given that Harry Grant's the flavour, and they'll probably go with a combination of Hunt, Friend, and Grant. 
But uh, yeah, so just stay tuned to see if he gets at least a look into the extended squad. Well, there's Ben Hunt a chance of playing half. What's happened to DCE? Yeah, I got no idea for them. You got Cherry Evans and Munster. Yeah, you got Munster and Cherry Evans. Is that oh, yeah, play? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Brimson will go back into fullback as the talk after Ponga was ruled out due to a shoulder injury. Yeah, to be honest, Brimson's been in a little bit better form. Not wrong. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to stepping up because the, we, we spoke about this earlier in the podcast in a previous episode, but the Titans are playing awesome football free of any pressure. Um, hopefully the young kid... May, I, I hope he plays in, well. In, the, uh, in the, uh, uh, the NRL Discord subreddit today, there's a Titans fan saying that we need to replace Moses with somebody more like... Uh, who's the half for Titans at the moment? The seven? Fogarty. Fogarty, Fogarty. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to which everybody uh, put a laugh about on that one. <laughs> like, there's, there's, just, there's, like, Mo- there's Moses memeing and then there's Moses memeing, isn't there? And they're like, that's yeah, gone too like, far. I, I, I want Titans to do well. They're, they've, they've, they've had such a torrid time in the NRL, but like, uh, you know, that's a bit of an out there one. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, all right. Well, uh, that wraps up most of the news. But for you, Ham, uh, there's some junior carnivals happening up uh, that you want to give us a bit of details on. Uh, yeah, just the um, schoolboys competition this year has been reduced. Uh, usually they play in pools this year. It's a, it's a knockout competition. Um, this week is round two of the competition. On Thursday, 2 p.m., Patricia and Brothers Blacktown are playing St. Greg's. Um, you can watch the games on Daily Telegraph, and they'll also have a replay on there. Sorry, my dog's just climbing all over me. <laughs> um, Jock, get him. <laughs> and uh, some Paddy's Blackdown have a few Eels Juniors in there. Um, the aforementioned Sean Russell, uh, Sam Luizu, Jacob Arthur, Bradley Arthur's son. Uh, there's a few others there. Um, Hill Sports High, traditional Parramatta um, High School, and they're playing on Friday the 16th of October. 4.30 at Ringrose, and Westfield Sports High playing Monday the 19th. I'm not sure how many um, players we've got in Westfield Sports High anymore, given their link to uh, Manly, but um, they're also playing at 10 a.m. Thanks very much for that. I, I believe Anybody that, to look out for? Who's the, who's the big names? Sean Russell. Sean Russell. I, th- I think he'll be playing um, He'll be playing left centre, I believe. He was in the – if you actually uh, Google – um, who they play for round one? Was that the one where all the Penrith prospects were getting talked up, and then the Parra boys smashed them? Yes, they played uh, some Dom's College. And if you uh, Google uh, some Pat, ah, jeez, Patrician Brothers Blacktown versus St Dominic's College, um, you'll see the first try is scored by uh, Sean Russell there. So he's a big uh, left centre in that game, and he's a goal kicker too. There's also um, did we mention it beforehand? But there's some good Villiami Penasini highlights from the King School. This year. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So just no, we didn't mention that before. If you are uh, going to, you're out there, buddy. <laughs> oh, it never gets old. That oh, that's gonna be. <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mute my mic. I'm sounding like a like a high school. Kid. Are you laughing at the Discord chat? <laughs> oh, that is yeah, well, the like, Discord chat. Hilarious. Yeah, you know, knocked me over. But yeah, go on. Sorry. If you just uh, go on YouTube's Kings Union 2020, um, it's a video posted by Oscar Green. You'll see. Um, they went through undefeated in their competition. I'm not sure what it's called, but they went undefeated. And Will Penasini is playing outside centre in the oh, who, number 13? Yes, outside centre is 13 yeah. in Union, yeah. Yeah. You know, he's got a few, um, does a chip and chase, which you just you don't see anymore in Rugby Union. Puts on a nice bit of light stepping and barges over in another couple ones. So 
uh, yeah, good good video to watch. Nice editing. Better than a lot of the other highlight packages you see of uh, junior <laughs> games where it's just big hits and uh, rap music. <laughs> <laughs> they do love some weird rap music in those highlights. I swear it just it proliferates all of them. But, yeah, looking at this, yeah, the, so there is a Daily Telegraph article that Ham was re- referencing with the Patrician Brothers versus St. Dominic's, and it's a huge Penrith Panthers puff piece. And then in the game, they got beaten like 40 to 4 or something like that. It was like one-way traffic. So... Uh, that mean the Parramatta players dominated rubber. Okay, well, let's go up to the next uh, one, which is season review. Um, so it's a little bit early, given that Ken Thornett medals are happening tonight. Uh, but I think we can go through that. Positives, um, I'll start with a couple. I reckon a um, season review deserves its own podcast. Man. Standalone we podcast. We want to do its own one? Yeah. Well, how about we stand that down for next week, okay, and we'll do our own and, and we'll touch on the positives and negatives. And, We're all about the content of the Parramatta podcast. season. We deliver the I'm content, boys. If you're all happy with that. I'm more than happy to do a standalone season yeah. of your broadcast. I think there's some important things to talk about from the, the steps that the Eels made and the steps that they do need to make, and as what Hamish covered earlier, going from being a, a regular finals contender to being one of the big dogs, to being the, the one that's ready to you know, step into the big dance on the long weekend, first the first weekend of October. Or even just making a prelim. That's the next real big step. If we're going to finish four, top four, you need to make... Um, you know, that next step up to winning that first round match and giving yourself the bye. Because I think, especially this season, it's going to be so important to have that bye week. Um, Otherwise, you're going to have to play 23 weeks of football in a row. Um, That's incredible. Uh, So, uh, sorry, not 23, 21 weeks of football in a row because we had the first two rounds before um, the COVID break. Um, And I, I just can't see anything else other than a Melbourne Storm Penrith Grand Final um, at this point, given that they've had the break. Although Raiders could spring an upset, but I think South will be cannon fodder this week. No, I, th- I, th- I think it's already going to the storm. They've got Cameron Smith potentially retiring. The refs will love that. They'll just give them everything. Will the refs do a guard of honour at the end of the game for Cameron Smith? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, we'll get it. We'll get another testimonial at the beginning of next season. We'll see. Yeah, that's um, a joke. Like, literally, he has a testimonial and what. Three years, he hasn't retired. Like, I can't mind. That's like the going out of business now that extends for the next five years. Like, Yeah, like I know a, a large portion of the funds were for charity and, and they donated a fair portion. But then they were raffling off tickets with the proceeds to go to Cameron to their awards night or, or sorry, their preseason night or whatever it was. And then he also pocketed, I think, between him and Thurston, it was about 250k each was what it was uh, reported at the time. And, you know, that's a... Um, sizable uh, yeah. payout, isn't it? Um, okay, well, let's get to the next part then, which is just talking about stuff that's happening in the off-season. Uh, Bertie, do you want to start us off with the, the that horrific injury yesterday? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so um, I haven't... So I've said earlier, um, I was over Dak when he refused to sign the deal. Just just as a... Um, I thought he was greedy, but it turns out it was his agent who was greedy, and I sort of like feel sorry. I, I felt sorry as soon as I saw the leg. I was like... This poor dude, he's been through a hell. He's been through literally hell. He lost his mother to breast cancer when he was in college. Um, you know, his his brother um, uh, committed suicide about, you know, about six months ago. Like, he's gone through so much. And I just thought, his manager, who should be like, essentially over there, manager should be like one of your best friends, sort of like looking after your best interests. He screwed him over. And just that leg is just, if I'm Dak, I'm firing my manager because he gave up 150 million. He won 40 million. We offered 35 million. Like, you're not going broke. It, it also it also highlights the issues with the franchise uh, tag in the NFL, which is something removed from either Dak or the Cowboys. Neither of them are at fault there because it's the system in place that is actually an issue. 
And this is the first time we've seen it. There's been three QBs in the history of the NFL play under the franchise tag. Kirk Cousins, uh, Dak Now, and then the other one, uh, Drew Brees, uh, going back yeah. a little bit, Drew Brees playing under it. And this is the first time a QB's ever gotten a serious injury under one. So I do, but the, I was going to say, I do wonder what they're going to do about it, but the players just renegotiated their CBA for 10 years. So I don't think there's anything they're going to do about it. Look, um, I see people blasting Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is more willing to pay him the highest paid money at the time, more than Russell Wilson, right? This was before Patty Mahomes got his deal done, right? It's just uh, Dak's agent wanted ridiculous money. Like, it's just... So, like, in t- I know Jerry Jones, he's a businessman, and, like, they, they, he sort of burns people, but he did it, he did the best interest for the club, right, the organization. And, unfortunately, um, Dak's agent didn't do the best thing for Dak, and I, I really do wish a speedy recovery. This could be, like... If it's not the end of the career, it's the end of his running days. He's not going to be a runner no more. He'll be a pocket passer. I think he'll, I think he'll lose less mobility than people give credit for. Mm. It's a four to well, six month recovery, which is a really positive like prognosis post yeah. surgery. Um, I, I was shocked when I saw those numbers come out. But yeah, he's not going to be as agile. But mm. Dak is quite but, athletic, so I think he'll still retain a good amount of mobility. It's he'll, what I mean is he'll be more like Tom Brady because Tom Brady now he's not going to get sacked. He'll just dive down like you saw during the week. Against the Bears, he's going to get sacked, but he just went to the ground. So well, that's he's a, going to be more smarter. That, yeah. Exactly. That, that is actually an important point to mention. That's something that uh, Russ is very good at. Is uh, as much as he is a mobile QB and, and does some crazy stuff on the ground with his legs, he is very good at avoiding those big shots and those awkward contacts from the side. And that's what's kept him. I mean, he hasn't missed a start in his career so far, and that's what's kept him so healthy. And that's something that a lot of yeah. the young QBs that like to get around could um learn. I'm talking like Kyler. Uh, uh, your brother's boy over in um, you know, Buffalo, Allen, yeah. Josh Allen. Um, yeah, there's a lot of them. But um, other than that, oh, this year, like 2020, honestly, can fuck right off. Like I'm just can't wait for it to end. I'm looking forward to 2021 for all my sports, but that was just the worst, worst way to end, essentially. But um, other than that, my Tampa Bay Rays won. Oh, I hope so, they, I hope they keep winning, man. They, I hope they beat the Trash Tros so hard. <laughs> Fucking cheats! Oh, they, they get—they make my blood boil. The Astros, <laughs> that like that—the fact that they got off even lighter than the Melbourne Storm did for their cheating blows my mind. And the fact that Robert Manfield came out and said that uh, the trophy was just a piece of metal, like oh my. Yeah, other than, other than that, um, I don't know what else. Oh, we had the NBA finals today. Like the yeah, yeah like the heat—the heat ran out of gas. They just did didn't it have for Kobe. Tank. Yeah. Um, and queue up the um, the Jordan versus LeBron argument once again for the 100th and uh, one time. I mean, I saw something saying that like uh, LeBron it has a bigger legacy than Kobe at the Lakers. I'm like, settle down, uh, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Le- LeBron, yeah. LeBron, obviously in the in the argument all time for the greatest player of all time, and and I'm a huge Jordan stand, but. Come on, <laughs> he got one title for Lakers. Kobe and Shaq are the franchise there, and before that, Kareem Abdul-Jafar is the franchise. So. Yeah, it's just uh, we'll we'll wait and see on that. Uh, Forty, do you want to plug uh, Seahawks? They pulled off uh, last minute well, and uh, a beautiful throw from Russ. The the only um five O squad in the um competition right now because your boys are on the bye, and the Steelers missed out in their um, competition last week because the I think tomorrow the Titans play. The Titans undefeated still. The point, Titans are undefeated, but they got they they went a bye last week, so they're actually three and O right now. So they, I see. They'll go to four and O if they um win tomorrow. So yeah, I'm I'm expecting your boys to catch up to us next week because we're on the bye. But yeah, um, that was a crazy game for those that watched it. Uh, it was pissing down in the Pacific Northwest in America. Uh, Russ was uh, Russ was bad in the first half, but the play calling was dreadful. Um, the Vikings got out to a 13-point lead. Then we exploded in the second half, got out the 21-13. We went back to shit in the bed. Uh, Russ throws a bad pick, and then our guy, 
as a story for like the entire season so far, defense has been trash, but they come up with like the big play when it matters, and they got a fourth line, a, a fourth down goal line stop against the Vikings, and Russ went ninety four yards, he was six yards out, ninety four yards to score with um two fourth down conversions, including the game winning touchdown. It was absolutely insane. <laughs> I, I, it was like bad for my heart sort of stuff. I was there and just getting absolutely amped, and I, I just finished the game with the jitters. Yeah, it was good, uh, but Vikings, uh, we've seen this script a hundred times when they play you guys, and uh, I was having some flashbacks to some contentious calls in the fourth quarter <laughs> myself, uh, but I have to say, I, I went out to uh, for a break at lunchtime and then came back uh, when it was at halftime, and I came back. Three touchdowns in two minutes. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it was like six or seven minutes into the second half, and you guys were in ahead after being down to yeah, hill. We, like, what the we went three and out in our first possession because we got the first possession post-halftime. We went run, 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 punt. And then we got the ball back. Russ goes down the field and scores with a DK touch, touchdown. And then it was uh, strip sack recovery into a, a Carson TD and then a uh, KJ right interception into a uh, – who scored the other TD? I can't – off the top of my head, I can't remember. Um, maybe a tight end. But yeah, it was DK a, scored the game winner. And then DK got the game winner on on the final drive, which was just he got the fourth down, thirty six yard conversion as well, which was just crazy. Bombing it on fourth down, yeah, like I said, that was not good for my heart. That game. Him. Yep. <laughs> How about them Packers? Oh, we had a buy this week. I know. Did you I was, I was, te- I was testing him. that you're getting up to. Uh, you're playing a little bit of bass. Uh, Blink one eight two. Clap at the bass. All the small things. Uh, no, nothing nothing of that nature. Um, West Ham are playing well. We've got internationals this week. <laughs> we beat Leicester 3-0. Um, that, was, that was good. Um, other than that, though, man, like, I, I, I blame COVID, but I did nothing before COVID, so. <laughs> I can't. It's a good excuse anyway. It's a good excuse now, yeah, exactly. But I'm, just, I'm just, you know, waiting for footy season to start again, which is really sad, but. That's you know, why. That's why you should fully embrace your Packer fandom, man. The NFL I, is so good. I have. I have. I'm. I'm a cheesehead. <laughs> I, I do want to give a shout out to my boy. We had Ro- this week, which wasn't great. After you know losing on the weekend, got to wait another yeah. week until we play. I, I was just going to say a shout out to my boy Rafa Nadal, who uh, sealed another French Open his thirteenth, and um, gave uh, Djokovic the old bagel, the frio. He um, straight said at him. He's just uh, on another level when it comes to clay. And uh, I saw a, a witty comment on Reddit saying that. If the U.S. election was run on the clay court, Rafa Nadal would probably win somehow. Uh, it's crazy, you know. As, you know, I, I played tennis growing up, and for you know, you, you always have your greats, your um, uh, Borg versus McEnroe, and all that sort of stuff. But to have Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, and even to an extent Andy Murray all playing at the same time, like if Federer and Nadal weren't what had come through at a different time. Djokovic and Murray would just be head and shoulders above everybody yeah. else. Like, it's part, crazy. Part of the reason the, the triumvirate of, I put Murray obviously at a tier below, but Djokovic, Nadal and Federer are so good is that they push each other. But yeah, yeah. You, you do wonder if each of them got the era to themselves, how many Grand, Sl- uh, Grand Slams they would have and how many uh, you know titles they'd have. It's just, uh, I don't, you know, if it was just one of them, I don't think any you would have seen any other name. See, if Nadal, sorry, sorry to interrupt, if Nadal wasn't so dominant on clay, you'd think he'd be like, like the third, uh, third best out of all of them, but just because he's so dominant, like I think he's lost less than five games in his whole career at Roland Garros. Like it's just or on clay courts. Like that, that alone puts him in the top two, top you know, uh, top two, maybe the best one. The, but- the Dalton clay is better than Gretzky, 
better than Bradman. He he is just that good. That is how how dominant he is on clay. He is insane. Um, and yeah, it's interesting because Djokovic has got the Australian Open, Federer's got Wimbledon, and Dahl's got the French Open. And then I think the US is kind of split more so between Djokovic and Federer, but. Also, Nadal's got a couple there too. So US has a lot of upsets over that, the years. That's right. It, 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 the US and the Aussie Open are the two that tend to generate the most upsets because the Aussies are the start of the season, the US is the end of the season. Mm. So there's fatigue or uh, a lack of um, game time under the belt for either of the two and play. Sorry, I'm just looking at this Photoshop challenge on Reddit. Uh, sorry, on Twitter. Trevor Raiders had one for Jack White and somebody's photoshopped him in front of the, the bubbler incident. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got his mouth open and everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, would have, um, I would have been proud if someone had done the um, the old South Park Russell Crowe fighting around the world with Jack White. And- oh, gosh. Um Anyone see that UFC knockout on the weekend? Oh. Yeah, that was intense. Oh, my <laughs> God. Hey, come on. It was just, you know, I see that every every match in professional wrestling. The, the, old, the, spinning, the old spinning back heel counter knockout. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. It's real to me. Uh, I just want to thank you for what you guys do to your bodies. <laughs> that's a classic. That's, like you see, it's, it's just an insecurity. Like, blokes pop up from that all the time. I don't, you know... That that UFC's fixed. You you saw the light go out in his eyes the moment he got popped in the face. He he was gone. That was amazing. I it mean, was funny how like it was just like not a delayed reaction, but like his body just like just stopped. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it it's like it, 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 it's like it's, it it just hangs dead for a second and then goes down. It's yeah. Uh, other than um, what else can we talk? What else? What what else? to me. So so Green Bay. Uh, are we the best NFC team at the moment after the? the San Francisco got popped. Your guys' defense just stinks. Sorry, Forty. But, you know, you're having... Your, your, defense, your defense isn't too flash either. Don't go throwing stones in glass houses here. You've given up some yeah, points, but we've too. been leading two scores pretty much every single game. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sound like I was, I was, I was like laughing at you. I just had to tell my throat. Sorry. I think... You know, we put up all those points in that last match with our... our Wide receiver one was our best running back, <laughs> and, and and our second uh, running back got, we racked up like almost ninety yards in 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 catching. Like it's just uh, the scheme that they're running at the moment is just so fantastic. I'm 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 uh, I'm really pleased at the moment. They're, they're they're trending towards, and they've got a big game coming up against uh, Tom Brady, who can't count downs anymore. Oh my god! Uh, so that that'll be a bit of fun. I think the, um, the pack deserve yeah. the um. The number like in terms, it doesn't mean shit until the finals, obviously. But they deserve the number one seed in the NFC for now until results that say otherwise. Yeah, the NFC, you know, it's a little bit stinkier than uh, it has been in seasons past. It's not as strong. San Francisco, they're terrible at the moment. Uh, You know, the the real heavy hitters are are sort of not trending upwards. The the Rams have been the Rams have been sneaky decent actually. They're one to watch out for in the NFC West. They dropped one game and they're um four and one, so they're doing all right. Trying to think of any other NFC, like I said, the yeah, Saints. I think are, AFC seems to have a stronger. Like you got Steelers are back, Ravens are back, and the of Browns course, are trending I know, upwards. I know they lost this year, uh, this week. Sorry, but uh, the defending uh, Super Bowl champs are right up there still. And Browns are, yeah, first time four and one since nineteen ninety two. I want to say oh, ninety four, maybe long time. Under 90s, the, yeah. the 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 Titans and the Colts are both reasonable outfits this year. Uh, Oakland look okay. So yeah, there's a lot of AFC teams that it, it's the inverse. It's the inverse of what we usually see, isn't it? Where there's a lot of NFC teams that are really congesting the the contest of the the wild card, and this time it's the AFC for the upstart wild card teams, and it's the NFC that's top heavy with um us or 
us as in the Seahawks and the Packers and then maybe the Rams. It's like AFC are all youngsters and the NFCs are all a bunch of you know old you know old guys. Like I just like, <laughs> well, you, it, it's a, it's a salty old dogs to lead in the way in the NFC. Rogers is in a spring chicken and Russ is well into his thirties now. So it is the vets that are definitely um taking the initiative over in the NFC. Um, one thing that I wanted to touch on um, through my work, we're doing a fundraising exercise for the Black Dog Institute. Um, so I'll link in the show notes to our page there. And if you put, uh, I should, I don't want to dox myself too badly. Yeah. Uh, but if you put Hamish well, <laughs> in there in fair, the box Ham, when you donate, uh, they should allocate it to myself. Ham dox uh, himself I'm for a running about tenth, I think, on the the ladder board, um, and that's on the back of. Uh, my smartwatch when it calculates steps. Um, I did a lot of walking around last week when I when I was away uh, with the pram, and it doesn't count up your steps while you're holding onto the pram because you don't generate <laughs> the movement. Swing the arms. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm still running about eighth position, but I've got to make up a little bit of ground. That cracks me um, up. That's actually amazing. <laughs> yeah, currently, so uh, the the where I work for it's a uh, national office, and our goal is to walk slash run around Australia. Um, and my personal goal for the month is to run slash walk 200 kilometres. Uh, so, and I'm on track for that at the moment. I think I'm sitting just under 100 k's um, and that's just under halfway through the, uh, the month. Um, so just on the Black Dog Institute, uh, so on their about section, uh, one in five of us will experience symptoms of mental illness in any given year. In Australia, that's around 5 million people. And roughly 60% of those 5 million won't seek help. Um, so Black Dog Institute provides medical is a medical research institute in Australia to investigate mental health across lifespan. And their aim is to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. So uh, if you want to uh, donate there, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, and for anybody out there that's suffering from a bit of ill mental health, don't be afraid to speak up. If you, if you even need to DM us on Twitter or anything like that, go for it. Um, cause yeah, we're all, all about that to, to sort of help out with that, um, side of life. Cause I know for myself this year, I've had a little bit of poor mental health, but, um, speaking, especially in the discord and, you know, with all my mates has sort of brought me through it. So, um, if you want to donate and I know times are tough for a lot of people, so don't feel obligated to, but if you've got that spare cash in your back pocket, feel free to kick, click on that link in the show notes and, and put in a donation. You, you can't see it or hear it, Hamish, but I'm hugging my mic, man. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Um, all right. Well, I think that'll wrap up this edition of the Para Podcast, and we'll come back next week for the season review, and we'll dig into all that nitty-gritty, what, was, what went right for us this year, what went wrong, and what we need to work on going into 2021 and 2022. Um, but I think one thing that we can see is the majority of this squad that we built to contest for a premiership is going to be off-season in after, not next year, but the year after. So this next two-year window, just as a bit of a preview, uh, really needs to be a two-year period where we are in a grand final or winning a grand final. And that's the uh, the preview for next episode. And that's the bottom line. Too easy. All right, we'll wrap it up there, guys, and we'll catch you on the next Para Podcast. Ciao, ciao.